as we compare, whoa, comparing the prophets of the world's two largest religions, as we consider those, the fastest growing religion in the world today is Islam. And the second is Christianity. Islam, with Muhammad as their prophet, when he went into Mecca, stormed on a war horse accompanied by hundreds of other warriors, thousands of foot soldiers went in. And it was death to anyone who did not submit to him, who did not submit to his rulership and supreme authority. It was death or slavery to anyone who did not name Muhammad the prophet from God. But then, in Christianity, the other growing world religion today, the second largest world religion, in Christianity, the prophet who came not with swords and clubs, Mounted on a donkey. He did not come with swords and clubs to defend against his enemies through those traditional means. But rather he came to die on a cross. Complete humiliation and shame. And what appeared to be a complete defeat. But as Paul tells us in Colossians. That it was there God disarmed the rulers and authorities of this world, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ came as a humble servant to die for the sins of the world. We have been traveling through Mark's gospel for several months, and we have come, as I mentioned last week, to sacred ground and we could spend hours in fact I think we'll spend the rest of eternity contemplating and thinking about every word contained in God's word particularly as we approach the cross of Christ do we find the words of God's word so vitally Every word Spurgeon said was dripping with blood of Christ. Every word was filled and bursting forth with the power of the gospel. So friends, my hope this morning in our short time together is to do somewhat of a justice to the passages before us. Though recognizing that many more things could be said, many more sermons could be preached, But yet we have arrived at Mark 15, verses 16 through 41. I invite you to turn there this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to just grab that pew Bible in front of you and turn to page 852. And hear with me some of the most sacred words in all of God's Word. And they compelled, excuse me, verse 16, and the soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. And they began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak and 
put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified, crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Some ran and filled a sponge with a sour wine putting on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that it was this way, he breathed his last. He said, Truly this man was the Son of God. As we consider the context of this passage, we understand that Jesus hasn't just stumbled into his crucifixion. Many things led up to what we now read in Mark 15. First, we understand that Jesus prophesied, predicted, that this is why he came. And we considered several passages in Mark 9 and 10 where Jesus said, this is the purpose I came. I came to die as a ransom for sinners. He told his disciples that all of this was going to take place. And then there, that night of the Passover, when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, where Jesus ate and instituted the Lord's Supper, Jesus told us that G J Judas would betray him. And in fact, Judas did betray him. Judas, one of his closest followers, would betray him by a kiss. He would then be handed over to the religious leaders there in Jerusalem where he would be tried, where he would be arrested first, and found guilty of blasphemy by those religious leaders. The charges that they brought against him before their religious courts was that he was making himself equal with God. Jesus made himself to be God, and so they thought he deserved to die. But these religious leaders had no power to execute anyone. And so they trumped up some false charges against Jesus. And the Jews, along with the Romans, conspired to throw, to kill Jesus. And they brought to Pilate, the leader there of the Romans in Judea, and brought with them the charge that Jesus was trying to make himself a king 
a king who wanted to overthrow Caesar's power. And last week we considered that trial of Jesus before Pilate where ultimately Pilate sentenced Jesus to die in the place of Barabbas. And that inscription that we read just a moment ago was the charges that Jesus was being charged and convicted of. King of the Jews. And as we have said, we have come to the passage that is the pinnacle of all of Mark's gospel. It's, it's really what all of Mark's gospel has been leading to. Uh, he has been very fast-paced and quick to get to the cross. He wants to tell the people there in Rome about the cross of Christ and remind them of the great truths that there are in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, much could be said that this, the cross of Christ, is the pinnacle of not merely Mark's gospel, not merely the pinnacle of all of the New Testament, but it is the storyline's pinnacle. It is the point in which all other stories in all of the Bible point toward. The cross of Jesus Christ stands as the central piece in God's Word. So we want to think about what it means for our lives together as God's people. How you and I might gain encouragement this morning by looking to the cross, meditating upon what is happening at the cross, and there grow in our faith in Christ Jesus. So I've summarized the point of the passage in this way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, endured the shame, suffered the pain, and bore the wrath of God that your sin deserved so that you would no longer be separated from God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, endured shame and pain and God's wrath, all of which your sin deserved and my sin deserved, so that for the purpose that you and I would no longer be separated from our Father in heaven. That's what we want to consider this morning. As we meditate on this passage, I want us to sort of think about those three observations laid out in that point. First, the shame that Jesus endured. Then the pain that Jesus endured. And then finally, and most importantly, the wrath of God that Jesus bore for our sins. This is going to be a marathon, and I hope you stay with me. And as I said, a disclaimer, there's much to be said that will not be said this morning. Let's begin. The shame that Jesus endured for your sake. We are told that Jesus was handed over to the soldiers, a battalion. About 600 soldiers in all made up a battalion. Jesus was handed over to them, most likely with the other two robbers. They would have all went together to the cross, there to Golgotha. They would have all been crucified at the same time. And we see first in Mark's Gospel this humiliation that Jesus experienced by the mocking from the soldiers. In verses 16 through 20, we see the mocking that Jesus endured. Jesus was mocked as a king. This is why they made the crown of thorns and put the purple cloak around him. They made him to look like a king. And, and there, Mark tells us that they were bowing down in front of him and paying homage to him. They were getting on their knees and, and bowing before him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were spitting on him and hitting him, mocking him. 
We see the humiliation of the cross of Christ is, is utterly humiliating. Not only is he naked and only having this purple cloak around him, but they are beating him and whipping him. He's humiliated. But what we see Jesus in his humiliation fulfilling is what Isaiah said would come. 500 years earlier, Isaiah and Isaiah 50 prophesied that the suffering servant would suffer in this exact way. And so most importantly, we want to see this morning that Jesus is fulfilling God's word. That everything Jesus endured was to fulfill the prophecies of God. Nothing that happened to Jesus was by mistake or by accident. Well, this was God's purpose and plan. Isaiah 50 and verse 6 reads, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. It was Jesus Christ that endured such humiliation and mocking. Laughs by these men. They derided him for, for maybe perhaps hours. Repeatedly mocking and humiliating Jesus. But he continued. He endures. He doesn't stop. He doesn't, doesn't say, that's enough, I quit. That, that's enough. He doesn't call down. Now, you want to remember in your mind, as you think about what Christ is enduring, that this is the God-man. The one who had the, the voice and power and authority who could call down a legion of angels. That could wipe out in a nanosecond, those 600 soldiers, poof, gone. But he endures it. He endures the shame that came with crucifixion. But not only did he endure the shame from the, the Gentile soldiers, which is to be expected, this was all normal, none of the treatment that Jesus reserved was special. There were many others that were crucified. In fact, historians tell us that that the Romans were so zealous to crucify that at one point in the history of the Roman Empire, they actually ran out of crosses. They were crucifying so many at such a staggering rate. They'd actually crucify multiple people on one cross. Not only that, we see Jesus was, was shamed, was humiliated by, by the passerbys. Look with me at verses 29 and 30. When Jesus is on the cross, Mark tells us that as he's hanging there, perhaps naked or, or maybe all he's got is a little bit on, he, he's there. He, and as those pass by, they derided him in verse 29. They wag their heads. It was a, it was a sign of, uh, of judgment, of shame. Like, you're, you're worthless. You, you're worth nothing. Aha. And notice that they know something about Jesus, at least the claims that Jesus made. You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Ha! I thought you were big and bad. I thought you were somebody. I thought you could do something. You, you said you were going to knock down this whole place, this, this temple that took hundreds of years to build. You were going to knock it down in three days, build another one? And here you are on the cross, weak, powerless, and helpless. Save yourself, they say. Come down from the cross. They, they mock him. They, 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 they mock his power. They mock his, his authority and his strength. But not only that, we see that the religious leaders then in verses 31 and 32 join in on the fun. So the chief priest and the scribes mocked him to one another. He saved others and he cannot save himself. 
is this proof that Jesus isn't the Messiah. No Messiah of God, no Christ of God, no anointed one of God would endure such humiliation and shame. God wouldn't allow it. There's no way. And so they mock him. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. And the irony in the whole passage is that we know that Jesus has the power to do it. And that's what's so powerful about this passage. Is that Jesus is enduring this. Willingly. Having all the power to truly do everything these people are saying. Yet it was his love as we sing in the power of the cross at Getty Hymn. It was the love of God that held him there. The love of God in Christ Jesus that, that he could have gotten down from the cross. And it is through the, the irony of these mocking voices that the true identity of Jesus Christ is revealed. Mark has used this uh, literary uh, device throughout the gospel. Using unexpected people to make true claims about Jesus. We, we saw it in the passage that follows with the centurion, a, a Gentile man saying that Jesus is the Son of God, or the high priest saying that, that, that He's the Christ. And here we see at the foot of the cross that as those cry out against Him, actually reveal His true identity. But as we understand the shame of the cross, that we understand clearly that sin brings shame. That with sin comes shame. Consider Adam and Eve when they sinned against God and were exposed in their sin. When the light of their sin, what did they do? They ran and hid. They ran away from God. They, they hid themselves from God. And friends, that's what sin causes us to do. To run and hide from God. Because see, the light of God, the light of God's holiness will always shine on our sin and expose it, and we do not like it. So we hide from God. We hide from others. We, we even ultimately hide from ourselves the, the shame of our sin. Friends, this is why in, in a city like our own, the, op the, the epidemic of drugs is so big. This is why alcoholism is so big in our country. Or why addictions are so strong is because they are an attempt to hide the shame of sin. I don't want to deal with my problems. I don't want to deal with the pain. I don't want to deal with the humiliation that, that my mistakes have caused, that my sins have caused. And so I'm going to numb myself from the pain and shame of sin. Friends, the truth is that each of you this morning try to hide your sin in some way. It may not be through uh, drugs. It may not be through alcohol. It may be through isolation. By trying to live your Christian life without other Christians. Friends, I just want to tell you a truth, little truth of the Bible. That you will not survive long in a broken and fallen world as a follower of Jesus Christ without other Christians. 
and not just merely knowing a few like you could call up on the phone, but living in covenant community with those Christians. If you're not willing to do that, I will guarantee you, you will continue to hide your sin and ultimately you will be destroyed by your sin. No amount of pills or porn will ever be able to cover the depth of your shame. None of it. But we thank God that in the humiliation and shame that Christ endured was to cover our shame and our humiliation. As Isaiah goes on to write in Isaiah 53, just a few verses after the verse we considered earlier, he writes, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The shame of the cross of Christ is the shame your sin deserves. There was glory in these words that Christ Jesus bore the shame of Calvary so that you would not face the shame of, of your sin. So that you don't have to be afraid to confess like we did earlier that God, we are sinners and bring the, 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 the spotlight of your love and holiness upon our hearts. Do not allow us to live in sorrow and sin anymore, but rather take our sorrows. Christ Jesus bore your sorrows this morning. The humiliation and shame of your sin. My sin. Was removed. Every bit of it. So confess your sin freely this morning. The humiliation and shame before God is removed. Christians, we do not need to be afraid to confess our sins to one another. We don't need to be afraid because there's no longer shame in our sin. Jesus Christ bore the shame that our sin deserves. And so live in the light today. Bring your sin before God's throne today. Don't hide it anymore. For Christ bore the shame your sin deserves. Consider secondly the pain that Jesus suffered for your sake. We could say that as you look at Mark's gospel... That he says very little about the crucifixion. That is, about exactly what happened. There was a few decades ago in Christianity a, a rise in the popularity of wanting to know all the gory details of the cross. In fact, in the 1980s, the Medical Journal of Science in America did a study on the kind of pain that Jesus endured on the cross. And they vividly gave the gory details. Many of you might remember Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, where you see before the big screen with your popcorn and soda in your hand the death of Jesus Christ, as if it was some form of entertainment for us to look at. But I will show you yet a better way in God's Word that there is no need to go into gory details. The, none of the Gospel writers seem to pay much attention. Why? Because it was sufficient. No one needed to tell a first century Christian what dying on a cross was going to look like. They had seen it. And they need not repeat it. But, with that said, that does not mean that we shouldn't contemplate the pain that Christ endured. Consider at some level we will never understand the pain that he endured. But we see it clearly. He was beaten for our sin, we are told. 
repeatedly beaten on the head. Head wound after head wound. He staggers so much that we see in verse 21 that that he didn't even have enough strength to carry his own cross. It's like a sermon right there in just that verse. You and I are called to carry the cross just the way that Simon was. But in the end, we understand that death by crucifixion was death by asphyxiation. That is, the weight and crushing weight of your body would ultimately be the death of you. It was the long game with crucifixion. In America, we have a form of capital punishment that seeks to mitigate the length one suffers. So we use lethal injection because we think that one suffers little through that. Though one could argue, right? But for the Romans, it wasn't about the short game, but about the long game. They wanted to see how long one could endure the excruciating pain. Historians write how they used to take bets to see, hey, let's see how long this guy can last. Oh, I bet he can last days. So much detail is given by early writers and early historians about birds coming and plucking eyes out and so on. It was horrid and it was awful. If you consider the death of Christ, as we look at the words that Christ in the agony of the cross, we understand clearly that that was for our sin. As we consider the the, the amount of pain that Christ endured, we understand the depth of human depravity and human sin. Friends, human beings created in the image of God, just like you and me, came up with this, created this, made this form of, of execution. People just like you and just like me, with families and friends, and pains and hurts and joys and laughters and birthdates and, and anniversaries created this most heinous and horrible form of torture. We see the depth of our own sin. We, in fact, stagger as we look at the evil there at the cross. But there is something else. Not only do we see the depth of de- depravity, but we see the heights of God's love. We see God's love displayed in such a way on the cross of Calvary that it causes us to kind of stand back in amazement. As you consider diamonds, you ever notice that when you go and shop maybe for a diamond, a diamond ring or diamond earring, whatever diamond necklace, that they never keep the diamonds you know, in the back of the store in the closet. They always bring them out and they put them on display and they got all those lights shining on them and their glass cases all shined up and clean so you can see clearly the diamonds before you with the glimmering light upon them. They, they don't hide them. Nowhere have you ever gone to a diamond store, even pawn stores put them on display with lights. Why? Because diamonds are most beautiful in the light. And friends, at the cross of Christ, the love of God shines the brightest. What seems to be a moment of darkness and despair, what seems to be a moment of utter chaos and destruction, is rather a moment where God's light 
shines the brightest, where the love of God is displayed in Christ. A famous Puritan prayer called Love Lusters at Calvary captures the beauty of the cross and the place love is displayed. Listen to some of these words. My Father, enlarge my heart, warm my affections, open my lips, supply my words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. There grace removes my burdens and heaps them on thy son. Made a transgressor, a curse, a sin for me. There the sword of thy justice smote the man, thy fellow. There thy infinite attributes were magnified and infinite atonement was made. There infinite punishment was due and infinite punishment was endured. And then listen to the great exchange here. Listen. Christ was all anguish that I may be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed. A thirst that I might drink. Tormented that I might become comforted. Made ashamed that I might inherit glory. In entered darkness that I might have eternal life. My Savior wept. All tears might be wiped from my eyes. Oh, the glories of the cross of Jesus Christ as the love of God God is clear. I just wonder this morning, do you doubt God's love for you? Do you struggle in your walk with Christ thinking that God does not love you because of your sin? You need to see clearly this morning that your sin is paid in the death of Christ. And so our third point. Observe the wrath of God that Jesus bore for our sin. The wrath of God. We are told in Mark 33 that at the sixth hour, that darkness covered the land. This was not a mere happenstance. This was a picture of God's judgment. Not upon the nation of Israel, but upon the true Israel. On the new Israel. Jesus Christ there, we see hanging on the cross of Christ. He's, he's dying in all agony. And we hear these words... In verse 34, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is pouring out upon His Son His wrath, His judgment for our sin and our iniquity. Jesus is crying out, as I said earlier, Psalm 22. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why? Won't you save me? Because it's not complete. My wrath is yet being poured out. God Himself turns away from Himself, His Son. He is separating Himself. The Bible is clear in this way that Jesus Christ has made sin. The Bible also tells us that God cannot look upon sin. God the Father can't be associated with the Son anymore because the Son is made to be sin. 
who knew no sin. But this is the reason Jesus came. Jesus came that, that he might not merely die as an example to his followers of, of what a righteous death looks like. But as he told us in, in chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why Christ died to give his life for our life. His death for our death. So this is the glory of the cross. We see this great exchange in what I've been quoting and what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was innocent and sinless. He did not deserve God's wrath. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this morning I wonder how, how do you know that through Christ you can have a relationship with God? How can you know with confidence that Jesus Christ's death on the cross satisfied God's wrath and that now you, a sinner wicked who deserves God's judgment, can be led into heaven, led into the holies of holies before a holy God? Well, friends, it's right here in Mark's Gospel in verse 38. As Jesus cries out, that last cry of it is finished. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, Mark writes, from top to bottom. The curtain, that, that curtain that separated God, the Holy of Holies, where no one was allowed to go into, a place where only the high priest could enter. Not one Jew, no matter how amazing you were, how cool you were, how much money you had, you could not get in. Wall of separation, dividing a holy God from a sinful people. It had existed for centuries. Jews were not allowed to approach God because of their sin. But in a moment, at a cry, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. Many scholars point to the fact that it's not torn from bottom to top so that they knew that it was God who had opened the new way. A curtain that stood 16 feet high. No one could get to the top of it. It's ripped. as a symbol to you. As the author of Hebrews writes, he interprets this verse in this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Through the death of Jesus Christ, a new way has been opened. Not by obedience to the law. Not by doing good deeds. But only through the death of Jesus Christ. Recently I was shopping. I think at Walmart. We'll go with that. And as I was there I was looking. I think looking around. and I heard in a distance a cry of a little girl. Um, it's been cry mommy, mommy. And her cry began to be filled with tears. And as you heard her cry, you're a parent, you understand, you've heard those cries before. Cries of hurt and pain. And 
clearly desperation. And as I began to kind of move my way through the aisles, I was looking for her. I couldn't find her. I just heard her crying. And you know how in stores like that, high ceilings, hardwood, hard floors, echoing around, you can hear the cry. It becomes louder and louder. Mommy, Mommy, where are you? Where are you? She had been separated from her mom. She's there weeping in utter terror, shaking violently. Where is my mommy? Where is my mommy? And then comes running a worker. And I'm like, you know, the worker's kind of standing there like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, hello, this child is like without its mom. This is a serious time. And this child is screaming and crying like, where is my mom? And then from a distance, you can hear her mom coming. And her mom was there. And the joy that that child She was once again reunited with her mother. Once again, no longer crying out, Mommy, Mommy. The joy that that child faced is the joy that you can face today through the death of Jesus Christ. And you can know today that you are no longer separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That the shame that your sin deserves that the pain that your sin deserves, that the wrath that your sin deserves has been fully absorbed by the death of Christ. Jesus drank every last drop of it. All of your sin, all of your evil thoughts, all of your evil deeds, all the promises you left undone, all the times you didn't spend with your kids you should have, all the prayers not prayed, all the countless hours wasted in your life where you should have been serving God, yet... All of that. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning. Oh friends, there is sweet aroma at the cross of Christ. We do not have our heads held low. We stand confidently knowing that Christ Jesus bore our sin. Friends, there is nothing to add to the cross of Christ. I hope this morning, if you're not a Christian, you are amazed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that you are in awe and wonder that a man would die for the sins of the world, but not just a mere man. Oh, the Son of God, he was. As we sing in that great hymn, Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior indeed, who is worthy of all our praise in all of our lives. And friends, may you give yourself to this God this morning for all eternity. Let's pray. God eternal, we could say so much in so little time. What a joy it is to know that this week we can spend our time thinking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Cause our day today and the days this week and for the rest of eternity to be about the cross of Christ. To be thinking about all that it means for us. The freedom that we have in Christ today. Not tomorrow, not not next year, not in eternity, but today we can have freedom. Through Jesus Christ. What joy it is to know. 
you have paid our debt and you have purchased our souls for all eternity. And our song shall ever be. Shall be our song. We give glory and praise to you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.